It is my great pleasure to be joined today by Don McFarlane, Artistic Director of the Toronto Storytelling Festival. This year, the theme for that festival was listening to the voices of nature. Due to the pandemic, the festival was online, which meant that I was able to attend a number of the sessions from my home here in Edinburgh, which I enjoyed thoroughly. I'm eager to talk today to Don about the part that festivals can play in what Joanna Macy has called the great turning of our times. Welcome to the Restoring the Earth podcast, Don. Thank you, Alette. I'm so delighted to be here. I'm so glad to see you. And it was really great to see you at the festival. I really miss seeing you and all of my Scottish colleagues. We miss you too. Thank goodness for the internet. <laughs> um, so, um, astonishing. Really. Yeah, it is. Our lives have changed so much. Um, so I'm just going to jump us right in here. What role do you see festivals playing in facilitating and supporting social transformation in relation to the natural world and those big problems we're collectively facing right now? Well, um, as we were talking about earlier, Donald Smith and the and 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 his colleagues, including you, at the at the Scottish International Storytelling Festival, have really shown me that festivals can provide leadership in promoting a go- a global culture of respect and gratitude through the traditional and contemporary art of storytelling, and uh, we did that by beginning our festival by giving thanks to be promoting a culture of respect and gratitude we respected and honored our indigenous elders here and began with a traditional um uh, prayer giving thanks to the natural world and a a wonderful woman um, who is an an elder gahan dagwas diane longboat shared hodong galiwadekwa the Haudenosaunee Thanksgiving Address, giving thanks to the natural world. And Diane is a member of the Turtle Clan and Mohawk Nation at Six Nations, Grand River Territory. She gave a blessing to us. She lifted up the festival and all the organizers and tellers and listeners and, um, and asking for us to be strengthened and inspired by the stories and for the words shared through the stories to embrace our minds and hearts and spirits and to give us strength to keep going in these challenging times. I I spoke to her maybe a week before the festival because we were in the height of the third wave here and super lockdown and fear. And I said, well, I hope this is an okay time for a festival. And she said, it's a really important time for for a festival. We all really need uplifting right now. Great, thank you. Um, So can you tell me a bit about how about your choice of theme and how you wove it through this year's festival and maybe as part of that you can also let our listeners know a bit more about you know the whole process of pulling a festival together because um most of us including myself have never put a festival together so it'd be great to hear from your experience well, I three years ago I had never put one together either. So <laughs> it wasn't something I ever even dreamed of doing. It was something I found myself in, um, and uh, I really I took a lot of uh, inspiration from from the people here who had begun the festival, um, Dan Yashinsky and Celia Lotridge and Donna Dudinsky and other such uh, other such elders in our community who began the festival. I also 
I also really took leadership from Donald Smith with this Scottish with the Scottish festival that you you are part of and um, um, so in terms of the uh, the theme hmm, okay the theme you know it's it, you've probably heard storytellers say this um, when you've asked them why did you choose a particular story it's, it's the story often chooses you. you you probably know that too as a teller I feel like the theme chose me. So I I had been building on on at the heart of all of my work personally and professionally with regards to the storytelling and the and this particular festival is really honoring the elders. And um storytelling is about listening as well as telling. Different kinds of listening, uh different kinds of silence for listening. And uh, Diana Beresford Kroger, one of our guest artists, she talked about the importance of listening and talked about in, in the Celtic tradition that she was raised in, all the different kinds of listening. And they bring people to a kind of inner listening. Um, and uh, when she was growing up in Ireland, she said she always, everybody did this. They looked up at the sky before they went to bed to see what it was that the sky had to tell them about the coming day or the coming days. She said, you might've heard her say this, that she if she looked up, and there was a ring around the moon, for instance, if there were stars inside the ring of the moon, it would say, you know, whether rain was coming and for how long. So people used to know that. And um, it seems we, we need to, we need, we fall, we've forgotten so much and we, and stories can help us remember. Um, as you know, our, our festival scheduled for last March was canceled in mid-flight. We'd started and uh, some of our artists were here or about to come from abroad and uh, and then it was all canceled. And when the world as we knew it what seemed to be ending, me and my partner and my grown sons and my daughter-in-law, we fled. We fled the city and we headed for the woods. And here um, we we were listening to nature in an, in a new way. We were cracked open because of all the uncertainty in our lives and um, managing our fear. And my partner and I were trying to be good grownups for our, my grownup sons. I mean, they were being good grownups too, but we, we thought we had the responsibility for some leadership in coping with crisis. And, um, and here we were, we didn't have any internet. So the world for us um, now we do have internet, which is why I'm able to be working from here, but the world for us, became the world of nature. And we were here in March in Ontario. It was cold. <laughs> and we had to be working outside. It's a very basic place. And our only heat is this uh, wood stove. It's a very basic and small place. And um, we had to work outside to keep warm. So we, we made a garden in the snow, uh, underneath the pines, in the, uh, in the cold. I stood speaking the Haudenosaunee Thanksgiving address. I have been speaking that address for a long time. And um, also I've been taking it with me, the printed version of it. I've been taking it with me around the world in my teaching and my, and as a guest artist. And it, it uh, this Thanksgiving address gives thanks to all of the natural world. And so there I was giving thanks for the strawberries that would surely come, even though so much else was uncertain. And the wind in the trees, the melting ice, the beavers, and the spring peepers, they calmed us. Uh, they comforted us. The air was suddenly clearer than I, I could have remembered um, because there were no cars or airplanes flying. And it, it was a new experience of how clearly out of balance we all are. 
I, I, it's not something that was a new concept to me, how out of balance with nature we are, but being up here in the woods, um, I experienced that in an, in a new way. And while so many people were connecting to the internet, we were connecting with the natural world in new ways. And I, I have also a, a dear friend, um, some dear friends and colleagues, and and one of them is um, is Ron Evans. He's a, a Chippewa Cree elder, and, and a Métis man, and um, and Josie Brown, his companion, and they're both teachers to me. And I was talking about all of that with them, and so the theme of listening to the voices of nature, to be able to look up from our computers from an online festival to the world of nature that sustains us, you know, to look up from the internet that connects us to the world of nature that sustains us. I experienced that that sustenance in a new way. And I wanted to invite other people to do that. I felt guided to do that. It felt like the voices of nature were saying, this is what you need to do this year, Dawn. (laughs) (laughs) And so many of the artists spoke about that, about, I mean, Shortus McPherson, my, my Scottish grandfather was a storyteller and my my Celtic ancestors spoke Gaelic, uh, Gaelic, in Scotland you say Gaelic, and uh, Shortus McPherson has been talking to me for years about how um, if you, the stories, the, the stories that he carries talk about working with nature and not, not against nature, and I'm sure you've heard him say that too. So it's something that I might be rabbiting on too much. Not at all. That was <laughs> that was a beautiful introduction to the selection of the theme, um, and I can really hear your passion and your commitment and your connection to listening to the voices of nature in bringing that uh, as a theme to this storytelling festival. Um, and I love the interweaving of the you know knowing that it's going to be online also as being some of the incentive to make it about disconnecting from the online and connecting to nature. Um, so how do you go about organizing a festival? So once you've got a theme, what's what's your next step? How do you go about finding the people and the, and the puzzle pieces that will bring this themed festival out in the way that you want it to come out? Or you know, how, how does a festival emerge well it um you know some of the artists i had invited a year before i I mean before covid had even happened um for instance diana beresford kroger she does she lives in a forest and she doesn't have internet how were we going to bring her into the festival that she was at the heart of the festival for me (laughs) um so uh, you know, I have, I, I really, um, I've learned at the Scottish Storytelling Festival that, um, that storytelling is a powerful way of transforming worldview and the quickest and the most radical way to change policy and behaviors and values is to change worldview. I, I learned that from Donald Smith and, and you and your colleagues and, um, the many the many tellers and listeners who came to the global gathering at the Scottish International Storytelling Festival some years ago, and the global labs that have followed up on, on bringing that consciousness out and, and, and talking about how to work with stories. So I had met some of the people um, that were invited to the festival through that. Um, It's not that it was new for me to be working, to be telling stories as a way of working with environmental imperatives, but 
those global labs help to articulate ways of doing that in in um, in really effective ways. And because festivals bring a huge amount of people together, and people with so many differences, and festivals are one of the few places in our lives where we can really find common ground, find the places that unite us rather than the places that divide us. And so I particularly chose artists um, who knew how to do that. Um, so it was my responsibility to choose the artist. And, so, and some, of the, some of that choosing happened, um, you know, a year in advance of the festival. And, and then there's the practicalities of putting an artistic vision into, into uh, manifesting into reality, uh, online reality. So they're, they're uh, fantastic administrators and, um, and technical programmers working with me because that, that's not what I know how to do. What I know how to do is to, to work with the vision of, of the festival. So I was, I have to say that the Thanksgiving address has really um, informed me. It, it's a very special time in Canada here because several years ago, there was something called the Truth and, and Reconciliation Commission. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of it. And there, um, it, it, was, it was a commission looking into the effects of um, residential schools, the ongoing effect of residential schools on individuals and communities and working towards uh, reconciliation and working against the racism that has been uh, um, assaulting Indigenous people here since colonization. So that's, um, that's been really important for me. The, there, were, there were calls of action that came out of that commission and and those so for me personally and professionally um following those calls of action mean to me um are indigenous artists at the heart of the festival because traditional tellers are the ones with the most holistic authentic worldview that is so essential for us now something else that came was articulated so clear to me at the at the Scottish Festival. Um, the traditional oral stories and teachings are the most authentic sources of the holistic worldview that's essential for our future. I, I'm learning for in, from Indigenous tellers and teachers here that humans are the newest creations, that plants and animals and non-human beings are our teachers, our elders, and we need to respect and care for our elders. They speak of the standing tree people. You don't clear cut standing tree people if you have a relationship with them, if you respect them as your elders, and if you see it as your responsibility to take care of them, uh, because you know that if you take care of them, they will take care of you. Uh, people protesting the ancient, the logging of the ancient forest in, in Fairy Creek on Vancouver Island know this. Trees are the lungs of the planet. Without them, we don't have air to breathe. But people don't know that anymore. And so the stories tell us. So I've, I think I've gone off in a different um, direction than you asked me to, but um, can you bring me back? <laughs> No, this is all this is all good stuff, Don. Thanks. Um, I think you you've covered in great detail your choice of theme and why you chose that theme, um, and you've given us some insight into the crafting, into what it's like to be in a creative director of a festival and bringing a vision um, into being. 
amidst the challenges of working online these days. Um, so I think you've covered it all. Um, One thing you asked me was how, about the creative process of putting a festival together. And I didn't, I mean, I kind of touched on that, but I was really talking about the, the philosophy that came from, you know, my experience to be guiding me in that, in the philosophy, but I think I didn't give you much about the practicality. Um, so as the artistic director, what I did was I worked with all of the artists. I, I had a lot of meetings and a lot of conversations with all of them, which was an honor and a delight. And I, to work out the events that could be, um, that could happen effectively online. It's completely different telling stories online than it is in person. And to, so to work with all the artists to adapt what they could bring effectively um, into an online forum and, and also how they could work with that theme in meaningful ways that were not prescriptive, but just inviting people to look through the lens of listening to nature. Um, and, and we also, we also worked, it really was a collaborative process working with the artists to envision workshops and talks as well, because we couldn't meet in person. So we needed something more than concerts to connect with each other. So to have, and you know, I have seen, I have seen, um, Donald and all of the uh, festival staff in Scotland do that so beautifully. And it was such a wonder this year to to be able to pair people in conversation and the resonances that were illuminated in their conversation. Stephen Kafui is a, a Dene elder and the Dene homeland is, is located in the Northwest Territories. And he, he talked with Louise Prophet LeBlanc, who was a, a member of the Nacho Nayak Dun uh, nation from the Yukon. And they were young activists together. And now they're elders. And the conversation they had was full of story and appreciation for people that have crossed the threshold. I mean, their wor the worldview they give us a glimpse into um, went beyond the limits of this physical world. Um, it, uh, Stephen also talked with, um, with David Francis from Scotland. They talked about colonization together. And Stephen told David about his experiences in res residential school. They played songs for each other. Uh, Stephen said how Bob Dylan had inspired him as a young man, and David played him a Bob Dylan song. It was so moving and so intimate. Um, Stina Fagerton from Norway, she talked with Martha Payak, uh, who is from Nunavut, but they both met in Ottawa last year when they both came for the festival, but then had to go. <laughs> Stina had to get, she didn't get as far as Toronto. She only got as far as Ottawa, where, where Martha was. And um, Martha's from Nunavut, and they had they they had a feast last year with with elders Inuit elders and Stina told stories from her coastal Sami and Kven traditions, and the Inuit elders talked shared some of their stories and they talked about the resonances between their stories and then Martha Martha did some throat singing, and Stina did some traditional yoiking. It was astonishing. <laughs> <laughs> so in. in Inviting the artists to look through the, the lens of nature for their stories, um, it, it brought things to consciousness for them. And you know that if things are brought into consciousness for a storyteller, that it will come across in the story. Whether it's actually said or not, people will feel it. And, and so, for instance, Celia told Celia Lottridge, who is one of our, our storytelling Toronto elders, she, she told stories about Baba Yaga. She also told us about the Russian forest where Baba Yaga lives 
where Celia has been to. David Francis told us that we are poetic inhabitants of the earth and only in nature will we find truth. Diane Longboat, Gahandagwa's Diane Longboat, invited us to fall in love with creation. She challenged us to tell our stories, to dig deep into our ancestral lineage and to bring up something to make our ancestors proud. She spoke of the standing tree people. Diana Beresford Kroger told us about Andar, the oak, who is in, in, in the Celtic tradition that she grew up with is the beating heart of the planet. And she, she's bursting with wonder at the miracle of each, of each day in the forest. And she told us that the web of all life, as we understand it, depends on the trees. Her exploration as a scientist began with those ancient teachings, and she has become an internationally renowned um, botanist and biochemist, telling us how we can replant the global forest <clears throat> and how, how, how we have to do it soon. <laughs> she has a bio plan for replanting the global forest, and she told us all what to do. She said each of us need to plant one tree for six years, uh, but it needs to be a native tree. She told, she's got an app to tell us how to find native trees. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> so, okay, so that gives you a little bit of a, an idea of how, how I worked creatively and collaboratively with these amazing people. I mean, Mari Campbell brought in vocal improvisation, vocal and music improvisation that went, soared beyond words as a response to the stories, which, you know, if we had been in person, somebody would have got down from the stage there would have been or, or you know sat down there would have been a little breath we didn't have that mari brought that breath but she took us into another realm with her her response to the stories that went beyond words and she invited us all to soar there and just have a moment of reflection before the next story it was so beautiful so what do you hope will come out of this festival and maybe there are things that have already emerged Well, you know, finding, you know, festivals are places where people can find common ground, people from really different places. And we need more of them in the world right now because there is so much polarization and all of this, all of the strain and stress and suffering of, um, of this pandemic has, has brought out the light in people as well as the darkness. And if, the more we can find places where we can meet and relate to each other, the more that we will care for each other, for each other as people and also for, for the natural world. I mean, if you love someone, you will take care of them. If you love a place, you will take care of it. Um, so what I'm hoping is that the stories helped people to kindle their love for nature, to remember what we've forgotten, to start remembering, because, you know, we all know inside of us what's important about nature. We know when we taste the first strawberry, we know when we taste delicious food that it came to us from nature. We know when we breathe in the fragrance of lilacs, that, uh, that when we take a deep breath of clean, fresh air, we love nature. And hopefully the stories brought brought all of this into consciousness and, and um, that people will put their love into action, that they will put their love into action at home and in the world to plant trees, to defend old growth forests, to defend heritage trees in cities, to build around them rather than cut them down and then build over top of where they grew to value nature more than things 
to take political action, to plant gardens, in community gardens, in pots on windowsills, wherever we can, to keep listening, to keep listening to the sound of the, the stream, the sound of the wind, the sound of the rain, you know, to feel the sun on our faces. Diana Beresford Kroger said, if you, after, you know, cold or rain, if you go and stand out and just reach your arms out and let the sun shine on you, you're being like a tree, <laughs> harvesting the sun. <laughs> Listen to the, look at the stars before you go to bed at night. You know, the, that's what I hope will happen. Beautiful. Thank you. Now, besides being a festival director, you're also a beautiful storyteller. So Don, will you share a story with us today? I will, I have like, I have three different stories that I, I meant to integrate into my telling you stuff and I just rabbited on instead, but I'll just tell you. <laughs> um, when at the very beginning, after after Diane Longboat shared the the thanks the Haudenosaunee Thanksgiving address, giving greetings and thanks to all of nature, then then um, Diana Beresford Kroger she talked together about how ancient wisdom carried through stories and teachings can help us. They the two of them they talked about how the ancient teachings can help us heal our relationship with the natural world in very practical ways. So I told this story. Um, at our at at the concert that happened after our opening, and I dedicated it to them both. It's a story from Ireland. Um, my my Scottish grandfather was a storyteller, and my my ancestors came from Scotland. But I know that Scotland and Ireland, that the Celts moved very freely, and the stories moved very freely between them. And um, so I feel I feel that I can tell the story. It came to me from Sybil Alexander in a book called Tales Around the Peat Fire. And I um I dedicate it to it to Diana and Di Diane because they both have a relationship with with Nate with uh Ireland. So Diana grew up there with the with the ancient Brehan laws. She was um orphaned and, and raised by Druid, Druidic elders there and given those teachings. And and Diane was invited to Ireland a number of years ago to do some healing work she with the land. Um, so the story is called The Daughter of the Fairy Queen. Myrna lived in a little stone cottage on the south coast of Ireland, where land and sea penetrate each other intimately, like music and poetry. Her faithful husband, Kevin, went out fishing and always came back with a good catch. There were vegetables growing in the garden, peat stacked up against the wall. They had all that they needed. In the evening, Myrna brought out her clarsa and played sweetly. Her brown eyes shone with love as Kevin sang the age-old songs in Gaelic. Myrna was truly happy. And when the summer was gone, she gave birth to a beautiful baby boy. They named him Kevin after his father. His father was so proud. My son will not lack for anything as long as I live, he said, and he doubled his efforts for the fishing, even going out into the autumn gales where no other fisherman would go out, and Myrna pleaded with him not to. And after Samhain, his empty boat drifted into the bay, wild were the cries of the seagulls, 
Wilder still, Myrna's cries of grief. She would have followed her husband into the waves, if not for their wee son, Kevin. And so for his sake, she gathered her courage. But it failed her before the end of the, of the winter when she ran out of her stores of food. And as she was stirring the last of the oil and the last of the flour together to make one last pancake, she wept into the batter. There was a knock on the door. When she opened the door, she saw nothing but the empty beach. A fine voice came to her, look down, it is I, the queen of the fairies. And there, standing at Myrna's threshold, was a magnificent, small woman. And in the woman's arms, she held a tiny baby, a sickly, weak-looking infant. Myrna invited them into her house. I am the fairy queen, said the woman. My daughter is dying. I beseech you to take her to your breast and nurse her as you nurse your own son, sleeping there so peacefully in the cradle. How can I do as you ask, said Myrna, when want lives in my house and I am starving? Look, there is the last of my food. And after that, my belly and my breasts will be empty. Tell me how I can fulfill your wish. What can I do? The fairy queen stood and she made a gesture of blessing over every container in the kitchen, chanting a mantra, plenty of food, plenty of drink, fullness of life for you and your kin. And wondrously, each of the containers filled themselves with milk, with oil, with oats. You will have all that you need, said the fairy queen, as she put her fragile daughter into Myrna's arms. Look for me to return in a year and a day. And before she left, she gave a blessing to Kevin, who slept peacefully still in the little wooden cradle that his father had made for him. The containers filled themselves and Myrna had all that she needed. She became radiant with health and so did the children. They delighted in each other's company. Music and singing could once again be heard coming from the house. And time passed by so quickly and so pleasantly that Myrna was surprised when she heard the knock on the door that told her a year and a day had passed by so quickly. She was proud and happy to return the daughter of the fairy queen, healthy and radiant, into her mother's arms. Follow me, said the fairy queen, and she led Myrna and Kevin out of the house and towards the steep cliffs behind the bay. Myrna hesitated, but but followed, and they came to a, a curtain of heather falling down over the rocks, and the fairy queen moved it aside, and beyond was an opening, a portal into another realm, a magnificent realm of light, trees abundant with fruit, a great table laid out with all manner of good things to eat and drink, a feast, the good people gathering around, Myrna forgot her shyness and delighted in the company of people seldom seen by humans. 
The fairy queen escorted her to the seat of honor decorated with garlands of flowers. And Myrna had never before tasted such delicious food. And Kevin, sitting on her lap, stuffed himself with honey cakes. There was much rejoicing, music and singing and stories and dancing. And the center of all the rejoicing was the radiantly healthy daughter of the fairy queen. The fairy queen came then to Myrna. Myrna, savior of my child, choose your reward. And she placed before her two silken sacks. One was filled with pearls and precious gems, and the other was filled with seeds and herbs to cure Ill, any illness under the sun. Choose wisely, said the fairy queen, for you will live long. Myrna lifted up the heavy sack of pearls and gems, and then the feather-light sack of seeds and herbs. Please give me the seeds and the herbs, she said, but also the wisdom to use them well. Well chosen, said the fairy queen, and clapped her hands. And then Myrna found herself sitting back at her little stone cottage on the little bay, with Kevin in her arms and the silken sack beside her. From then on, they had all that they needed, and Myrna's garden grew wondrously. People came from far and wide to seek her cures, her healing, her wisdom. She never again saw her benefactress, and she never, she never again found the place in the cliff, the portal into the other world. But whenever she needed guidance about which plant or herb to use, she sent a prayer to the Queen of Heaven, and the guidance was always given. Her garden was filled with health and healing for young and old, all the days of her long life, and perhaps beyond. Thank you so much, Dawn. What a lovely story. I hadn't heard that one before. <laughs> So it's, it speaks to me of working with nature and not against nature. Even her husband going out into the waves when people knew not to, into the storms, you know, and the kindness and generosity that she gave to the natural world. I, I think that the spirits of nature are surely inhabitants of the earth and that who cross the realms in story and song and appear every now and then to us. <laughs> Yes, if we're fortunate enough, <laughs> and if we choose to stay still and listen. <laughs> Thank you for that lovely story, Dawn. I would like to finish what has been a really rich discussion by asking you, what today gives you hope? There's so much that gives me hope today. The strawberries that are beginning to form after their beautiful blossoms, the scent of the 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 raspberry blossoms in the air, sweetening the air right now, the warmth of the sun, the sound of the rain. The old stories give me hope for the future because those old stories are filled with, with the challenges humanity have, has faced for millennia. And it's filled with teachings. And if we listen, we can find the way. The other thing about ancient languages being heard again. So many have been lost and so many people are, are learning them anew and bringing them back into their daily lives, into schools, into stories. And many of the, many of the tellers used ancient languages. And I, 
when I was talking with them, both during events, but also preparing for the events and the picture image in ancient languages just jumps out at me. Our English language speaks really with, with a rationality and a logic and ancient languages speak in picture image. So our, our brains our our brains and our culture are too focused on logical sequential thinking. We need more of the imagination of the right brain. And, and that comes from picture image and storytelling is one of the most effective ways of bringing picture images back into people's thinking and feeling and into their hearts and minds and spirits. For instance, Gahondagwas, Diane's Mohawk name, it means she is braiding sweet grass. Diana Beresford Kroger said um, things to me at the end of our conversation, like Togboge, which is um, Gaelic for, she translated it as meaning something like go easy and uh, handle yourself like a piece of silk. If you go easy in life, life will go easy with you. <laughs> so working, working with imagination, the resurgence of imagination that comes from ancient languages and ancient stories and new life breathed into them, that gives me so much hope. Thank you, Dawn. Thank you for everybody who's tuned in to listen to my conversation with Dawn. I hope you feel as well fed as I do. Um, and I invite you to tune in in two weeks to the next episode of Restoring the Earth.